This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Bill Gormley. Bill's back for his quarterly visit with uh, Off the Shelf. Uh, Bill is the... uh, chair of the Coalition for the Gun Procurement and also is the president of the Gormley Group. Uh, Bill, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Roger. Looking forward to it. Well, it should be fun. Um, well, here we are and in deep into November or the middle of November. And I guess uh, uh, tomorrow is an exciting day. We have our uh, uh, virtual fall training conference at the Coalition for Government Procurement. And um, just want to get your thoughts on what, what we anticipate and uh, the lineup a little bit. All right. So let me add, first off, I'm a pure business that find out how much interest is in it. You know, what, what's the registration right now? Approximately. Right. Well, right now we're right around 450 or well, so. Okay. Right. Okay. I, I guess you picked the right topics. Congratulations to you on that. <laughs> well, why, thank you. Um, <laughs> I think we have, we have the, the GSA administrator, Robin Carnahan coming and speaking yeah. as one of our keynotes. We have Celeste, Drake. Um, she is great. Um, she is the uh, uh, OMB Made in America director. So she's going to be talking about the Biden agenda with regard to domestic sourcing. We have Steve Schooner, the, uh, the professor at George Washington University Law School and, you know, very insightful speaker and lots of great stuff about procurement. It uh, gives you a lot to think about that you haven't thought about before, actually, frankly, when he talks about how the system works and, and the balances in the, in the, in the system. Um, and then we have a host of uh, GSA, DOD, VA folks coming and speaking. We have breakout sessions. I think we're, you know, we're very gratified by the, uh, you know, by the support and turnout from uh, the government folks. And that's what makes the conference work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think they see it also as an opportunity to engage with their industry partners and get some feedback. So yeah. it should be a great day to. Um, oh yeah, that was, so you, you got you got a packed agenda. I, I will say um, that I look forward to actually everybody getting back together again. You know, I think that that's the. It's going to be a great time. You know, for the next two days, I understand that. But the practical training and just being with people and having contact, you know, like it is in the rest of our life is. Uh, yeah, we, we miss that. So this will be hopefully we can turn a corner for next year in spring and be in person, hopefully. Yeah, uh, yeah you, Bill, you're so right about that. There's folks that you, you used to see two or three times a month in person, you know, just yeah. as normal yeah. course of business yeah. in, in meetings. And you just see them virtually or you see their name on the screen, right? Not their yeah. picture. Yeah. Um, and it's just, just you, you lose something with that, right? You lose that. I know. I, yeah, I mean, not to dwell on it, it sounds like I am, but we, as a company, we had a meeting last week in Annapolis, 100% in person, and it was superb. People had me met each, some people had met each other. And just yeah. the, that and the dinner at night and all that just brings back the camaraderie and the, the whole reason that we're, that we're, we do what we do. And it was just, it was, it went off, but yeah, great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully 
spring conference being that. Yeah, I hope so. Like by May, hopefully we'll be okay. Yep. And there is, it's that human connection. I think it's part just that human connection people, Absolutely. people Absolutely. miss. So hopefully yep. we can get past this and, yep. and move to in person. So, and speaking of, you know, the reason why <laughs> uh, we are where we are right now is COVID, right? Yeah. And so, and I know you, um, you've, you've implemented at your company the COVID mandate, as I understand yeah. it, and, and you're, you're supporting companies who are dealing with trying to figure it all out. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get your perspective on it, what you're seeing in the market. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's well, I mean, we hear, hear it through the media. It's, it's very interesting. You know, some, some companies are, we've had some, you know, that one client that's offered actually to pay employees to, to get vaccinated. And that, I think that that kind of went the wrong way internally because then they thought, well, it's not good. It's not good. So you're paying it. So it's, it's a flashpoint right now, right? No, no, wait a second. So they thought, oh, the vaccine must not be good because you're offering to pay you're me. Paying, that's right. And so, so no matter how you, how you look at it, right. And, you know, and, and we, have, we have people who some companies, regardless of anyone's opinion about it, some companies though, you know, are really stressed about the executive, the executive order because they have key personnel. And when you're in the manufacturing line and machinists and designers and people like that, installers, very, you know, you just can't, it's not a plug and play. You can't just go hire somebody to walk in and take it over. So it's really putting a uh, stress on the whole management side of trying to figure out how to, how to run a business now and whether you're going to do business with the federal government or not. And, and I know OSHA is coming out. Uh, at some point with, this, with its own mandate. So it's going to be, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a political person here, so it's, I'm not, not going to get into it, but it's, it's, it has really gone in a direction. That I, I didn't think it would go, but it, it's real and uh, companies are having to deal with it and it's pretty stressful. A lot, a lot of the companies. Right. And OSHA has come out with their rule and then, um, and it's supposed to, I think January 4th was is effective, but now it's in the courts bill. Right. And, you know, there's been, uh, you know, um, you know, it's been put on hold, uh, by the courts as, a, as the, the, uh, as, as the courts, you know, will, you know, have their say in a certain sense, uh, as to, you know, what, what, uh, the mandate and whether or not, it can go into effect or not. So it'll be interesting to see how all that all shakes out, but it just, that just creates another dynamic in the market too, as well as company trying to figure out what to do or not do. Um, and now we have for the OSHA requirements um, at least, you know, some uncertainty about the way forward. So it'll be to your point, I think it's a, I think everything, you know, during this time over the last 18 months, things that did not, you just can't imagine would have stressed you out. I know. stress you out. Right. So it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so, so we'll, we'll continue to monitor that. I think, I think one of the things that, um, I know coalition has tried to do is, is just educate folks on the requirements and make sure we, we provide, you know, the, uh, companies with as much information that we're aware of and resources as they're trying to figure out from a business perspective, how to navigate the whole thing. And that's, that's, I think the best way we can try to support, um, what's going on. So, um, so, so enough of that. I mean, we'll do <laughs> that. will continue for a while and we'll, you know, and it, it's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, 
but let's turn to some, you know, more direct, I guess, pure contracting issues. And I think one of the ones I wanted to uh, talk to you about, um, uh, and I think you're very familiar with is the, the transactional data reporting rule. And, um, you know, this, I think late this summer or so, you know, Jeff Kosis or, or this summer, at least uh, Jeff Kosis, the senior procurement executive at GSA, you know, um, issued a statement or a memo saying, you know, the pilot had been successful and that in increasing small businesses and lowering prices, I guess, and costs. Um, and that, you know, GSA, GS, and gave the authorization in a certain sense to expand it. So that's the summer. So where are we now, uh, Bill? Well, TDR is, we're talking about your transaction data reporting. I, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, the intent of TDR, I think, is to really align the schedules per program in regarding pricing and, and with as much to commercial practice as possible. And the CSP, commercial sales practice, for those educated listeners, <laughs> if anybody wants to at CSP, they can call out you later <laughs> or talk yes. to me. If, you, if you're real lonely, I'll talk to I you. Think, yeah, well, I think what you could tell a company is, your crown jewels, your whole pricing strategy, uh, the government's asking you for that. Like, who, yeah. do you give, who do you give your best discounts to? What class of customers? Under what circumstances? Please tell us all about how you price. Yeah, so I think, for, uh, so I think GSA, having gone through their hats off, they, they went through the whole pilot and gone through it and, and uh, you know, did a lot of evaluation on it. I think the, the, the decision that was made by GSA and to expand it to the rest because it was a, on a limited number of, well, a limited number of areas within the schedules program. Now they're talking about, you know, the full expansion to the full program. So there'll be consistency there, which I think is, is very important. Um, and what we're seeing though, is that, you know, the, there's, they haven't, their, their messaging internally, there still needs to be a lot of, a lot of training from the contracting officers. Because some of them are still trying to use the CSP, uh, as as a way data to determine TDR pricing, and it's not meant to be that way. And and so we're you know we to be honest, we we really run into some couple situations is struggling with the contracting officers you know being trained or having exposure to to the to the areas that they need to focus on regarding TDR. So this would be a stream actually a streamlined process, and it is not in all cases ended up that way. So hopefully. It's like anything else, you know, when, once you go through it for a little bit, then it, it will catch up, you know, everybody will catch up to it. We'll be on the same sheet of music, but we, we think it's the right way for GSA to go. Well, well, what, we're up on the break, Bill, but when we come back, I do want to ask you about what you just said, what I think you just said, that uh, now contracting offices are asking for both TDR data and the CSP. Um, you know, I don't think that was, that's an unintended consequence right now. So we'll, we'll pick that up when we come back. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He's a chair of the coalition for government procurement as, and he is the president of the Gormley group. I'm Roger Walder and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network. Welcome back to off the shelf on federal news network. I'm Roger Walder. And my guest today is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley group and the chair of the coalition for government procurement. When we ended the last segment, or the first segment, Bill, you, you mentioned something that you, you confirmed to me was correct during the break, is that uh, in, ca- in some cases, 
contracting officers are not just asking for the transactional data reporting information. They're still asking for the CSP. Um, I, so, I guess that would be an unintended consequence uh, of uh, the move towards T- TDR. Well, first of all, I wish I had misspoke, but I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, we're you know we're seeing where you know some contracting officers or contract specialists are asking for you know to your point CSP information in addition to TDR, and it's really stressing out the companies internally, and you know because that's not you know we we, we look at what GSA's put out on the intent of TDR and how it's supposed to be evaluated, Roger, and it's it's spilling over to the CSP type. And it's like, we can't get you know, from an in, government can't get enough information about pricing. So we hope it, hope this settles down over time, you know, cause they're, you know, they got a lot going on and we understand that, but, you know, companies now are, you know, are counting on us to, to really be the interpreter between, <laughs> between what's being asked for and what they have to provide. And, um, you know, we've gotten some pretty extensive conversations with some of the, contracting officers but we're we're getting through it but i think the it shouldn't be as big of a struggle as it as it's become in some areas so i think like training is uh is necessary there yeah right yeah i think i mean to your point it's if if you've been doing something one way for like 25 30 years or if you're a new c let's see i has been doing it one way for 10 years and now they're being asked to do it yeah, the evaluation and a different methodology. There is some sense of like, okay, I need, I need some of, I need the data. I understand, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yep. Right, but um, but but along those lines, um, it seems to me to you know that that care training of the contract and workforce, and I think Jeff actually mentioned this in his memo, is going to be vitally. It's going to be fundamental to you know to to the expansion. Um, um, yeah. And I mean, I know virtual, virtual training is, is kind of the rage, but I can tell you nothing beats practical training. So I don't know if GSA can you know, get out to the regions and try that, but I think that's, I think practical training is an accelerator to getting a clear message out. Um, but, you know, I, I know people are, you know, talk about virtual, you know, more so now than practical, but I think that's something to consider anyway, where, where you can get practical training. So practical training, that's in person. That's, that's, that's in person. It's it's practical. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. I think, and I do, I do believe training in person training is critical um, because there's one thing when we're talking on a screen, it's another way you're sitting across the table for someone and you can actually engage in an ongoing conversation about a, a topic. So the other aspect of TDR that I just wanted to get, your your take on and i think it's uh, something that's you know vitally important and a very significant positive reform is the elimination of the price reduction clause for you know for contracts that are um covered by the transactional data reporting rule um you you agree with that yeah i think yeah i think the we touched on earlier i mean i think it's the, the the manner in which companies sell now you know with the internet and so forth and competition out there is the the you know the price reduction is just it's a trap that you inevitably you know one would fall into not unintentionally and and it just it just it's hard to comply with now it just the the whole bit you know the whole business aspect of the model 
that the schedules was built around the commercial environment was fine in the beginning, but the commercial environment, you know, the schedule's been around prior to GSA, and that was that's 70, 71 years ago. And so the models changed. I think TDR, again, I'll say it again, it's had, had off the GSA for moving forward with TDR. I think it, it gives them the chance to engage or align with the commercial practices today. Right. And, and how people are selling to, you know, to the government and um, to your point, not just the commercial market has changed, the schedules have fundamentally changed when the, you know, when uh, the price reduction clause was there, the schedules were closed, limited number of comp. There wasn't, there wasn't a requirement for competition at the order level. Um, There's a host of different, you know, aspects of it that, you know, essentially when you look for a something to guarantee pricings that's what they came up with but there's so so uh, you know but that that this whole structure of the program is fundamentally changed. Well, i mean you, you see it on the restaurant menus right you see on certain items it'll say market price they, they can't even right. keep up with it on the menu they actually type it in there right, in right. The market price so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an illustration right yeah there. good point good point um all right, so I want to turn to another topic, um, and since we're talking about schedules a little bit right now, and that's um, you know the use of BPAs, and I know you're a big promoter of BPAs, I am as well, but just uh, blanket purchase agreements off the schedule have been a huge tool. I think about, let's say, half the dollar volume going through the schedules now, at least uh, yeah. as we track it, is going through uh, BPAs, but there's you know, I guess good BPAs and not so good BPAs. And, uh, you know, one I want to talk about is vertical contract duplication and this use of government-wide BPAs that don't have any requirements, you know, articulated in them as actually real potential competitive requirements. Um, And just, you know, know, it's almost duplicating the schedule rather than competing, you know, uh, some sort of an ordering agreement. So, when we developed the, the theory around the BPA, I guess, it was to emulate as close as we could the government to be like a commercial account. And a commercial account um, within industry, if, if you want to get a better deal, commercial account means more than just setting up the address and <laughs> how the invoice is going to be handled, payment. It's, it's more on the business side. So the BPA is intended that when you are going to have repetitive business or business relationship over a period of time, then you can set a BPA up. But within the BPA, there, there should there should be some structure to it, Roger, and around requirements. And requirements is what's going to influence the relationship. Okay. And I think, and so the government obviously is interested in getting a good deal for a lot of reasons, but you know, for the taxpayer. <laughs> and and industry will give a, a better deal when they see something that's real, not as es- not estimated. So, you know, I, I won't get into, you know, big, a lot of history here, but, but off the experience, you know, when we did BPAs, you know, with other agencies or working with other agencies, you know, I was always pretty adamant with, with the agency. I mean, you just, we're not just setting this up to set up a BPA that there should be some form of, requirements and the requirements can be a technical requirements i'd always prefer uh that it be in, in dollars because that's what triggers industry and a lot of times you may not particularly in the services area or some other areas you may not know enough the government may not have the full capability of writing up a technical requirement but they the government does know pretty much you know 
have an idea about what the budget would be around that requirement or that need or that projected need and put the dollar amount in there. And that, that creates a guaranteed minimum. And, and when I was in government, I used to have some people like, why, you know, I don't have the money. I'm like, well, why are we doing the BPA? It just can't be just to do a BPA. So you've got to, you've got to almost put yourself in your, in, in industry's position when you're having these conversations, because, you know, you can't go to a store and say, I like to get a discount on this when I, when I need it. And they're like, well, how much are you going to need? <laughs> and so it's, it's a basic fundamental of, of, of business and pricing. And I think that's where, you know, when you talk about, you know, kind of vertical contract duplication, it's not if you have requirements to it. If you don't have requirements in it, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And even the FAR now, you know, the language in the FAR talks about multi-agency BPAs. You have to list the agencies and their requirements. Yeah. And I okay. think you you pretty much articulated very clearly why that is. It's all about business, right? And if you want <laughs> value, you have to be able to communicate requirements to get that value. And so if yeah. if GSA said he's got the schedule contract and then they're competing BPA, and there's no requirements on there. And then the whole next step is to compete, you know, for the task orders under the BPA without having any intermediate requirements, then you're really, you're spending, yeah. you're asking people to spend money um, unnecessarily in a lot of ways. It's, it's something GSA really needs to think about, especially the, the recent cloud uh, BPA approach um, that, um, you know, that they're looking at, you know, where are the requirements? Yeah, so, I mean, anyway. that, 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 that's what's going to drive the ability for the government to get what it wants at a at a at an increased value as far as the price the reduction in price. I mean, that's kind of how they, they always gravitate toward reduction in price, but it should be best value anyway. And right. That, that's a, that's a, that's, I don't know if you get that on your talking topics, not the best value. Yeah, well, you, you know, if we, if we don't have enough time, we get the best value. Now. Right. Well, you could I'm, talk sure, about- I'm sure Schooner will talk about it. Uh, oh, yeah, he will. I'm sure. So. Uh, and, and Bill, we're up on the break. So when we come back, uh, I, mean, I think we'll turn to the acquisition workforce a little bit and the care feeding. We, we've touched on it a little bit, but I w- want to get your thoughts on, sure. you know, on supporting the acquisition workforce. Okay. My guest today is Bill Gormley, chair of the, of the Coalition for Government Procurement and president of the Gormley Group. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He's the chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement and uh, president of the Gormley Group. And we're, you know, we're, we're touching on procurement issues across the board. And none is at the center of the acquisition system more than the acquisition workforce. And, um, you know, and we're in a challenging time with, obviously, with COVID and the virtual work environment. Um, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, the changes in the, in the commercial market and the changes in the federal market as well, in terms of new rules and new approaches like TDR. Um, so just from your perspective and your years in government, you know, the care and feeding of the acquisition workforce, can you talk about why that's so important and what, what you see in the future that we, you know, that we collectively need to focus on? Yeah, I mean, I know, I know you use the word important. It's essential. Yeah. And you know, the management management has changed over time, the style of management and the organization. People, you know, now virtual more so. Uh, but it's still important to 
connect with everybody. I mean, um, and the care and feeding of this thing is, you know, I think the management team, uh, you put it on them, at least from a policy standpoint, should really focus on trying to get out to the GSA locations and at least them be in person (laughs) for whoever's there. I think there's a presence there of not just being in Washington, D.C., but getting out to their regional offices and and meeting with people and understanding, getting feedback because, you know, you know, what I used to say, and I still say today, it's, it's kind of sounds, sounds, uh, didn't sound timely or current, but I say every, everything works on the chalkboard. You can write anything down. It sounds good and it works, but when you take it off there and put it in real life and, you know, get it rolling out there, you get a lot of feedback. And, and I used to encourage negative feedback it may sound strange on proposed policy but i i wanted to hear that the, the people challenging it and not and either validate what was being rolled out was was appropriate or if things needed to be changed and i think i think what's missing or what seems to be missing is some of the feedback of of what may be coming down the road and then applying that feedback either validate what's coming down is is appropriate or, hey, do we need to make changes? And so I think the only way you, you have to continue to stay on top is, it is, it is there's no end to training, okay? And, and that and it's not like we overtrain either, but I mean, there's, there's a need for training, a need for feedback, you know? And, you know, I used to spend months out in the region just visiting the people and talking to them and getting the feedback. And, you know, there, there's things that, that we could have done better and we work to do that as a result of that feedback. And plus the people have buy-in. It's just not something, it's not a flow down decision and no one really understands what that is until they've, until they've engaged in a topic to talk about it. And I think there's significant value from, you know, do you call it the care and feed of the acquisition workforce? Especially you have new people coming in who may have come from a different organization that hasn't been involved in the schedules program, you know, where it's normally, They'll, they'll put RFPs out and people will quote on them. They'll evaluate them. This is a, this is a whole different arrangement, which is, which to me was, was very exciting because you're actually dealing with industry and, and, and that sales environment and contract environment at the same time. So Karen feeding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it seems to me when it's thinking about a contracting officer, you know, that there's a, there's the, book training on like, here's the rules of the road. This is what, how you have to navigate. This is how, you know, the regulations and policies and procedures there's, you know, the ability to communicate like to a company, articulate your position being learning how to listen to people. Right. And in the response Um, there's also understanding the market, right. Understanding the businesses that you're dealing with that makes you better negotiator on behalf of the government. Uh, you know, and you get a better, better value at the end of the day, perhaps, yeah. even if it isn't the lower price, because you understand how that market works and what the value of what they're providing is as a service or whatever. So all those things come together. And I just think that's at this point, you, the limitations of the virtual world, not that we don't understand it's going to be a hybrid, people are going to work from home. That's not going to, you know, but people are going to come in the office too. But just training like that, being in person, there's something that you get a lot more out of it. I'm just thinking about too, you know, when I've, you know, had the opportunity to, you know, guest lecture at, you know, at GW and their law school, you know, 
the invaluable parts of it were like during a break where a person comes oh, up yeah. and asks you a question, you engage with them. It's some, maybe something you haven't thought about yep. and it actually helps make you a better, you know, um, you know, policy person or whatever your role is as well. I mean, that, that's sort of thing that where I think we're missing um, right now in, in the government and just in general that um, I can't wait till we get back to, to doing that kind of thing. So yep. Yeah, but anyway, I think that that's a topic. Well, yeah, you have the conference too, so at least we're getting you're getting the word out there. <laughs> right, right. So like we're talking about is even getting more lower net or more more uh, you know more specific on any topic that you could have a more granular, probably the right word for. It. And I think that's that's you know it's almost two years of not having that, and right. I think that's kind of what's necessary. And I just wonder too. I have the another question for you about it. So it's just having seen a lots of presentations. Lots of pre- presentations with Q and A. I'm beginning to wonder. It's it's more efficient in some ways. Let's say right, you know, so we don't have to travel and stuff. But I think it's more inefficient in other ways because I don't think you get the depth and the you know the uh, insights from the training or the conversation that you would get in person. So in that way, it may be more efficient just in terms of the logistics, but in terms of the actual delivery of the training itself. I, I think it's less efficient. I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not heavy into the side of uh, evaluating the, the difference between practical and, and virtual. But but I, what I will say is, I think in the long term, the ROI on the on what what the organization gets out of it, I think ROI is higher on practical training. Right. You know, I know, I know there's investment, but we're talking about what happens when you walk, when you're done with the practical training class and everybody goes back to work versus virtual. Right. I I, I think, I think it's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, you know what? We're pretty much up on the break. Um, So when we come back for the last segment, I want to talk to you about something that I know it's, you're starting to hear about a bit more. It's that balance between government unique requirements and you know and their costs and versus benefits and access to the commercial market and you know wh- what is the cost to a business and, a, and and what's the balance that you keep robust competition from the commercial market you know while at the same time you know addressing government unique requirements and where are we in that sort of continuum are there too many burdens now or 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 not enough and how do systems play in that as well my guest today is bill gormley he is the president of the gormley group and chair of the coalition for government procurement i'm roger waldron and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network welcome back to off the shelf on federal news network I'm Roger Walder. My guest today is Bill Gormley, uh, president of the Gormley Group, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we've been tackling a number of procurement issues, just generally big picture issues as well as specific ones. And uh, the big picture issue that we're starting to hear about again, and this, these things do ebb and flow. You know, if you've been in government contracts long enough, you've seen like <laughs> burdens be, you know burdens or requirements whatever you want to call them being added then being eliminated and we've got a streamline then we all oh, we need more require you know we, we need to address more things and yeah right now i think we're in 
we're trying to do both. <laughs> I think we're trying to streamline things. Uh, at the same time, we're also trying to, you know, we are, there are additional requirements being added, whether it's cyber and some of them are appropriate, right? There's going to be fundamental to, to the world we live in like cyber. Um, and there are others and just, you know, I want to get your sense what you're seeing and hearing out in the, in the marketplace, um, with regard to the assessment of requirements and what businesses are, are thinking about in, the, in terms of their role in the federal market. Well, I think when we're talking requirements, doesn't necessarily mean technical requirements for an item or a service. We're talking about just the overall requirements to hold it, hold in this case, the GSA schedule contract. And those requirements are not decreasing. And I think one of, one of the concerns um, from a large segment of industry in the small business one, and under the administration, you know, has set a, a high priority for the small businesses in this country. Um, to, you know, become eligible to be a government contractor. But, you know, in talking to a lot of them, they're, they're reluctant to enter into the market because of the, the cost, the, the, the level of in, cost of entry into the federal government is increasing on behalf of, from, a, from an industry standpoint. And from a small business, you know, th- these costs have to be pretty much up. Fr- these are like upfront costs. You can't get a contract. Right. And then pay the cost back, right? And so th- these are upfront costs. And this is essence either financially or resources. In other words, you have to get other people to come in. And I'm not questioning the government's requirements when it comes to on the security side is one example. And those are areas that where the small business is not is doesn't have those requirements from a commercial standpoint. And so that's an that is a it, so it's not as though you know, GSA can say, hey, you're doing this commercially now. And they're like, they're not. And so in, in many cases, so this is a, and so then on the other hand, the government wants a better deal, wants to be the most favorite customer or, you know, we get into that side of this, Roger. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough call now for a lot of small businesses to decide whether they want to enter through the market now, because they're not seeing a, a streamlined aspect of, getting a contract and that's just not time-wise that's just the ability to mirror as much as they can of how they do work commercially because at the end of the day you know the commercial side keeps them afloat as well as you know trying to penetrate a government market and so when, when they enter into that federal market they're like whoa you know it's like i have a whole different sales force approach you know it's a different sales approach you got the ethics side on it everybody's trying to comply with all the requirements um and so that, that's one thing the government, hopefully, and Small Business Administration, GSA, and the Ostaboos understand because the contracting officers are, are basically carrying out the requirements when they negotiate. And I think there's, that's, you know, and I know we talked in an earlier segment about care and feeding and training, but that at some point has got to be part of the consideration for a fair and reasonable price. Right. So, Bill, it, it seems to me what you're saying and, and thinking about what you were saying there is, one of the things that you see being emphasized is how to increase, to your point, how to increase small business participation, particularly small disadvantaged businesses. That's uh, a big focus of the Biden administration. And the impression is that the focus is on increasing the number of set-asides or addressing it that way to try to increase participation. When, so what you seem to be saying is one of the things that needs to be thought more about is 
uh, you can increase set-asides all you want, but if it costs too much to do business with the government, it's not going to make any difference, right? So they well, need to be... Yeah, in that regard, you're not, you're not encouraging an increase in competition. Right, right. <laughs> There's fewer, fewer. Yeah, yeah, okay. People can say you've got competition, but there could be more competition. It could be greater opportunity. And I think that's where... You know, once someone gets in, then then they, they start to recover their costs and so forth. But that that's then then sets a higher barrier for other people trying to get in. Right. And so it's it pretty much stymies you know the small business aspect of this. So you know it's it's it is a balance here, and I think that's where the government hopefully you know in carrying out its laws and regulations to some point understand and would do some kind of comparison. Um, of what it would take to buy a like item commercially versus the government and what stands. I mean, we, we did this years ago and it was like continuous paper wrapped around a whole office of, of what, of what, of what government process was versus commercial. You know, we, we worked to reduce wherever we could, but there's still a lot of, you know, we had this sign here in the office, you see the guy running the hurdles and that was back in 1949 of how, how many hurdles you had to get over to become a government contractor. And I, and I swear to God, I mean, his hurdles from 1949 to this day are the same. And, right. uh, and then they're getting higher instead of lower. Right. Or, or, or it's a steeplechase now and it's you got the water right. too. You got the water, right. you got to go. Yeah. yeah. And, so, uh, you know, but you know, it's a big market in some regards, but it's, it's, it's how do you have to, what do you have to do to play in that market? That's the cost of doing business is, is increasing. Right. Do you think uh, my sense is too, like you hear the right language in many cases, but I don't know if it's really culturally sunk in, in the federal government that, that, that the federal government doesn't drive business to, you know, that, that it isn't the biggest buyer, right. That it can't like dictate to the market. Um, you hear the right things, but I still think there's a mindset there in parts, in some parts of the government that, yes, we, we, you know, these, we can do this because we're the government when they're really, they're, they're, they're a market participant, just like anybody right. else. And yeah. they, they have to be an attractive customer as well to have people want you to do business with them. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. But so, I mean, that, that's the, from a, maybe it's my personality. I think that's an exciting challenge for, yeah. for, for both parties to figure out. This is no, we're not, it's not being negative. We're talking about how, how do we get better collectively? Right. right. So, and as we talked about earlier, the feedback becomes very important. It just can't be, this is what we're going to do and not recognize what, what's, what's in front of you to get it done or what you incur when you try and do it from an industry standpoint and government. And, and I think the clarity of understanding that just understanding the process will speed it up both internally in government and with industry. Yeah. Well, you know, Bill, just show it very, very quickly. So, um, but I appreciate it. Um, lots of good insights. I think really the government thinking in a mindset of being an attractive customer, somebody people wants to do business with is, you know, hopefully, you know, some, a message that we collectively government industry can work towards. So I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, my guest today has been Bill Gormley. He's the chair of the Coalition of Government Procurement, president of the Gormley Group. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. 
You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.